Will you turn your Bible with me, please, to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. A long time ago, I went uh, paintballing with the church youth group. And my brother David went with me, and we went to have a really great time. And it was super exciting. I'd never been paintballing before. If you've ever been paintballing, it's exciting, but it kind of hurts a little bit. And it's, you know, it's not always the most fun when you get actually hit with the paintballs. But the idea of it is fantastic. And so uh, my brother, though he was a little bit younger, um, had been given permission to come with the youth group. And so we were going, and, and it was very, we were very serious about it. This is going to be a very important and serious trip. So we went to the paintball place and got all the gear and figured out how to work everything because we'd never done it before. And started off on our very first match. And we're going out and like the buzzer buzzes or whatever and you start going and you're walking through the woods. And I remember coming up on this little hill and I'm cresting the hill and there was a bunch of woods and I'm in the woods and I could see a bunch of the other team. And they're standing there trying to get themselves kind of figured out. They, didn't, they weren't quite ready to go. And so I'm like, this is my opportunity. This is amazing. And so I'm sneaking very quietly through the, through the woods, and there's one of my buddies there with me. And suddenly I hear the sound of like a lumbering bear coming through the woods. It's not really a bear, it's my brother. And he's walking through the woods just as loud as can be, and he sees me sneaking up on these guys, and I guess he assumes that the other team kind of knows we're there or whatever, I don't know. But suddenly I feel this whisk of air as he runs past me shouting, Steven! And he's just shooting at nothing and running away. Well, at this point, he's completely safe. He has saved me from whatever bad guys by completely exposing me and showing them where I am. And so the hail of paintballs that just starts colliding with me, I have welts to this day. I'm clearly not over it. There's emotional damage. It's there. <laughs> but David's hope to try to save me was um, awesome and full of power and exciting and all those kind of things, and in the end, completely ineffectual. And it was ineffectual because we didn't have the wherewithal to actually save anybody in this particular situation. Let's read John 15 together. This is Jesus speaking. We're going to read at verse 12. John 15, 12 and 13. It says this. This is my commandment, says Jesus, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. What a wonderful thing that is. Praise the Lord for his word. Greater love has no thing than this, that someone would lay down their life for their friends. As I grew up, I eventually went to college and joined the army, and I served in the military, and uh, I was deployed in, in Baghdad, Iraq. And so being in Iraq one day, uh, we were out on a certain patrol, and I was in a different area and, and out far away. And on this particular patrol, we are uh, the, my guys that I was with <clears throat> were driving through one of the towns called Adamia. And so they're driving through the town, and there's this big road that was kind of a major road. And you always knew something was weird when the crowds weren't there. So everything was usually crowded, everything's usually trashed. If it's sort of clean and nobody's around, Something's wrong. So the squad turned the corner in their Humvees, their, their uh, big trucks that they were driving. And as they turned the corner, an ambush started. And there were gallon, giant five-gallon jugs of gasoline along the side of the road attached to a bomb. 
So the bomb went off and the fireball engulfed the first truck. It totally blew out the wheels of all the trucks from the percussion of the explosion. And so in this moment, the gunner who's behind the machine gun in the truck has fire come completely over the top of her. And so I was a military policeman and we had uh, females that worked with us and she was a gunner. She was one of my best gunners. And so her name was Sierra and Sierra is now on fire. She falls into the truck and everywhere she wasn't wearing her gear, she's burning. So the medic jumps into action. The medic is trying to put her out and they're trying to figure out what happens. And Sergeant Lillard, who's in charge of the truck, starts to hear pings off the glass as the attack actually starts. The bomb was just initiating things. So Sergeant Lillard looks back, he sees what's happening, he looks up, the truck's completely on fire, and he stands up behind the machine gun and starts returning fire. Now this is a big deal. It's a big deal. And why is it a big deal? It's a big deal because all the emotions that are running through you, all the adrenaline that's running through you, everything in you wants to respond and hide at the same time. And Sergeant Lillard knows that the only thing that's between certain death and actually living is that machine gun shooting. And so he starts firing. He starts firing while the truck's on fire. He starts firing while the machine gun's on fire. He starts firing while the bazooka that's behind him is on fire. And so he is engaged in this moment while they're trying to save Sierra's life. Why would he do that? Why would he possibly do that? He does that because he loves her. He does that because she's in his squad. He loves that she's part, she's a comrade with him. And so she was in danger and he just didn't even think about it. He jumped up and started working. The driver jumps out of the vehicle, scrambles to his feet, finds the fire extinguisher, and they're frantically putting out the bazooka to make sure it doesn't explode while he is shooting back at the enemy. All this is happening while they put out the fire on Sierra. She's okay. She's burned, she's hurt, it's traumatic, she's in trouble, but she's okay. And so they say, Lillard, we're fine, we're ready to go. And they drive that vehicle without wheels, without tires, as far as they can to get out of the intersection until they can run outside and connect a tow hook to pull that vehicle to the nearest base. And guess what? I hear about this on the radio. These are, these are my soldiers, these are my people. And I hear about it on the radio. I can't begin to tell you the emotions that came out of me. I mean, you can see them because I'm Italian, so I'm an emotional person. I talk to my hands and all those kind of things. But in that moment, it was amazing. Everybody was willing to risk it all for Sierra. Everybody was willing to risk it all for each other. And it was because of love. Jesus told us that there is no one greater than this, that one would lay down his life for his friends. You know, Lillard jumped into action not just because he wanted to save Sierra. She was, like I said, one of my very best gunners. She was an excellent soldier. She eventually ended up being one of the poster people for the Army. You know, those in the, the actual posters, like the literal poster that says, you should join. There she was. And so she was fine. Everything worked out well. But Sierra, in that moment, though she was great at her job, though she was an excellent soldier, though she would become literally a poster person for the army, she was helpless. She was helpless in that moment. She needed Sergeant Lillard to spring into action. She needed the medic. She needed help because she was utterly helpless. A few days later, Lillard is back at it again. 
squad is out, the trucks are refit, and this is the nature of how things go, and you're just sort of back at it. At this time, a lot of bad things were happening in the area. And so the commanding general was over all of Baghdad, decided we were going to do this thing called a surge. Maybe you remember it in 2006. And so during the surge, they bring in a bunch of extra people. And we started searching everything, every car, every house, everything. And so we were on long shifts going out every day. And because we weren't doing our normal job, we were military police, as I mentioned. So our normal job was given to these National Guardsmen who had uh, come up, and they were pretty new in the country. And they were told to go link up with the Iraqi police, and they would drive around and do patrols and kind of keep the regular police presence going while we did all these searches and all these kind of things were happening. So we had very little time to train up these National Guardsmen and help them understand what to do. And one of the things we told them is, if you're ever driving on Route Absolute, it's just the name of one of the roads, like Highway 40. If you're ever on Route Absolute, you go as fast as the slowest truck will go. So if the, tr if the slowest truck will do 70, you do 70. If the slowest truck will do 55, you do 55. But you go as fast as you can. You never stop on Route Absolute. You just get on that road, and get off that road, and do what you got to do. And so they uh, felt like they knew better. And so <clears throat> they went on a patrol with the police one day. And we'd been out about 8 or 12 hours searching houses and doing things and looking for all kind of stuff. And uh, suddenly I get this call on the radio. And the call on the radio is that the National Guard unit, who's with our policemen that we normally work with, the, the Baghdad Police Force, are on a patrol on Route Absolute. And they stopped for whatever reason to look at something. And they were immediately attacked. And they were completely overwhelmed. They were overwhelmed by all kind of stuff. And I'm hearing on the radio these things happening as they are just panicking because they don't know what to do. So we drive over. Sergeant Lillard's in the very first truck. And as we're driving, I'm calling up to uh, all our support and people and saying, this is what's happening, and we're on the way, and we're coming to help them. It took us about four minutes to get there. By the time we got there, another unit had already showed up. And so I saw this scene unfolding in front of me. And Sergeant Lillard in the front truck sees another truck, one of ours, an American vehicle, that is just all shot up. People inside are OK. And I can see the hands of the gunner up trying to fix his machine gun because it's broken. And so he takes his vehicle and pulls it around to block where the attack is coming so, that they, so they can take the brunt of the fire now because everything they have is operational. So we jump out. and we come into action and we're going. And the problem is we've got Iraqi police there that are our friends. We've got this other unit that's come to help who I don't even know who they are yet. We've got our National Guardsmen that are supposed to be doing our job who are sort of just panicking right now. And then we've got our trucks. And there's too many of us. We're in one place. We're too tight. And so Sergeant Lillard's in his truck and he's trying to figure things out. And he's, he's working on the front end of where all this fighting is happening. And I grab our interpreter, his name was Khan, this Kurdish guy. And I said, Khan, I said, I need you to do something for me. And he said, Sadie, anything. Sadie means sir in Arabic. I said, I need you to run across the bridge and find the Iraqi police and tell them to stay where they are. And when you get there, you're going to have to make sure that they hunker down, and then you're going to have to run back. Can you do that for me? And he just looked at me and nodded and jumped up. And Khan ran through raining bullets across a bridge on the middle of a highway outside an intersection to get to the Iraqi police, who are 
completely overwhelmed. Completely overwhelmed. The Iraqi police go out with their little pistols like our police do. We show up with everything. One of the Iraqi police, we had a big problem because they, uh, they would go out and they only had 15 bullets. That's all they had. So everybody's out there. So they're, I mean, you talk about ineffectual. They have no ammo. They're just holding on for their lives. And all of a sudden, this Kurdish guy shows up. You know, the Kurdish guy, for them, it's like, it's like some, you just don't expect it. I almost said a Cubs fan. It's like a Cubs fan showing up. <laughs> just, you just don't expect, you're like, what are you, you're from Chicago? What are you doing down here? That's what it's like. And so here comes this Cubs fan, and he shows up, and he says, it's going to be okay. Stay where you are. They're helpless. You know, I imagine in that moment, they had a little bit of hope as they're seeing this happen. But Khan jumps up and runs back. All their hope is gone. But Sergeant Lillard, in his truck, is on the radio, and he's talking to Green Dragon. Green Dragon is the Apache gunship helicopter support. And he's going through all the motions, calling in what's happening, because he's in the first truck and he can see everything unfolding. And he's talking to the support. And suddenly we can hear the bleat of the rotors beating down as they come above us. Suddenly you can look up and see as the shadow goes across the earth of what's going to be salvation for us. Because we are too tight. The trucks are broken. Things are not working. I can still see the hands of the guy trying to fix his gun. The, the Iraqi police, they're out of ammo. They're totally helpless. And then the helicopter shows up. And I'll tell you what. When that showed up, it changed everything. It changed everything. Because all the bad guys knew they could either run or lose. That was it. Changed everything. Something really unexpected happens. The unexpected thing is that the disciples have been following Jesus. They've been watching for him. They've been waiting for him. They've been, they've been looking at all the things he's doing. He's opening the ears of the deaf. He's making the blind see. He's fixing people's withered limbs. He's raising people from the dead. He's preaching peace. Everything he does is life everywhere he goes. He's not like the stuffy religious leaders and priests and, and Pharisees who are just trying to be all about rules, but he just has like this gardenness of, of life and, and growth and peace everywhere. His words are like bread. They fill you up and they nourish you. Everything he says is like a cool drink of water that just brings you back to life. And they're following Jesus, and he goes back to Jerusalem, and they see this wonderful triumphal entry, and the people are waving Hosanna, and it's so wonderful. And then a, just a short time later, Jesus has gone to the cross. Why would he do that? Turn with me in your Bible, please, to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Here's what Romans chapter 5 says, starting at verse 6. Romans 5, 6. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, Jesus had told the disciples 
Love has no one greater than this, than one who would lay down his life for his friends. But God had a better plan, a bigger plan, where the king of life, the king of glory, the creator of the universe, the second person of the Trinity, God who's become man on our behalf, would come to earth, live a perfect life, and he would give his life up, not for his friends, but for his enemies. Christ went through inhuman things to die for us, but what was really incredible was that Jesus Christ took the wrath of God for our sin. You see, as enemies of God, the Bible tells us that we're not neutral. It's not some kind of checklist, cosmic checklist that we have in our life where we try to have as much good as we have bad. The reality of the Bible is that the Bible tells us that all people have sinned and fallen short of his glory. Everyone has gone astray from his way. Everyone has turned to their own way. Everyone has made themselves enemies with God. But Jesus Christ in his great love, being even greater than what he told his disciples love looks like, demonstrated God's love by dying for us, his enemies. When he hung on the cross, he took all the wrath of God. You know, I think about that girl Sierra being burned. You know, it's one thing to have uh, a burn happen when you're just cooking or something like that. Uh, it's another thing to have a burn happen when you're around a campfire and one of those little embers comes up or something. But gasoline burns in a weird way. Have you ever been burned in the kitchen where it's oil on you and you can't get it out, you can't get it off, it's not working? That's like what happened to Sierra. And as I said, she became poster child for the army, praise the Lord, poster person for the army, uh, totally recovered. She was a great soldier, all those kind of things. Totally safe. As you're thinking about it tonight, she's totally safe. She's still great, even today. <clears throat> but I think about Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. You know, the Lord took all of his wrath. It's like gasoline on fire. The wrath of God, it doesn't just go out. It's not just a little ember from a fire. It's not just a small thing. God took the wrath that he had for sin against his enemies and poured that out onto Jesus' cross in one focal point on the earth that's called the cross. So as Jesus hung there, it was like a target upon which God put all of his anger upon our sin. The Bible tells us that that's what Jesus took for us. That's what he did for us. The amazing thing that he did is he took all the wrath of God for all of our sin that wasn't even his own, and he took it in his own body. And what did it do to him? It killed him. Because the punishment for sin is death. God has been very clear from the beginning that if we wander, if we go astray, if we sin against him, the punishment is death. And so somebody had to die. But there's a problem, you see. The problem for the disciples is Jesus has died on the cross and everybody dies. Everybody dies. And so they followed the one who has brought life with every word. They followed the one who's so, so holy and so perfect in all he does. One who just by his word can heal people and transform lives from a distance away. How incredible. Surely his fate won't be death. And yet he dies on that tree. And they place him in the ground. Three days later, Mary goes to try to find out what's happening with Jesus. And they want to anoint the body fully because they haven't had time to do so. She comes in the garden and she finds the stone rolled away. 
She's shocked by this. So she goes back to those same disciples and she says, come with me. I, I found the stone rolled away. I don't know where Jesus is. And Peter takes off running with another disciple and they're running to the tomb and they've come and try to find out what's happening. And they get to the tomb and they find it just as Mary said, the stone is rolled away and they look inside and there's no Jesus. And in their minds, they have this little hope like a Cubs fan telling you good news. <laughs> could, could it be? Because if Jesus has stayed dead, we have no hope and we are helpless. It's ineffectual for Jesus to take the wrath of God, but then remain dead. The reason for that is everybody dies. It's the punishment for everybody. But what would change everything? What would be the rotor blade of peace, the rotor blade of salvation that you can look up from a moment of helplessness when you are out of ammo, when you realize you're the enemy, there's no turning back, there's no way of peace, you are going to be fried. If Jesus lives, though, if he's alive, it changes everything. Turn with me in your Bible, please, to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. We're going to start reading in verse 11. Just after the disciples have gone back, finding this as Mary has told them, the word says this, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. John 20, 11. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting there where the body of Jesus had been laying, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And all these things that he had said to her. Can you imagine this moment? This is the moment that changes everything. This is the hope of our lives. This is where we are deep in a foxhole, helpless and hopeless, where everything we've done is ineffectual. Did you know that everything you bring to God to try to make that ledger balance out is ineffectual? Because the Word of God says, if you have fallen short, if you are a sinner, you're His enemy. And so to come to Him and say, no, look, I, I know I failed you, but look, I also did good things. It's ineffectual. But Jesus raised. It's everything. And here's Mary on this wonderful morning looking inside the tomb. She sees the angels. Imagine the boldness. You see angels sitting in there. And say, hey, why are you crying? What's going on? Where have you taken him? They, she still doesn't know because she's caught in death. You know, death is this way of pervading you, doesn't it? Have you ever had something in the fridge go really bad and you forget about it and that smell just sticks with you? That's what, that's death. That's the state we're in. 
And yet Jesus has risen. And now he's standing with her in the garden. And the very first picture, the very standing on a mountaintop, it's not Jesus out on top of the temple preaching. It's not him even raising people from the dead or, or calling on angels, even raising people from the dead or, or calling on angels or, or going to take a crown. It's him standing with a woman who's a sinner in a garden and calling her by name. And in that moment, she turns around and sees him. Can you imagine her whole life has led up to this moment that's just grief and all she can smell in her nostrils is rotting flesh. All she knows is the pain of the burning of being apart from God. And now she sees him alive again, risen. And what does she do? She clings on to him because he's called her name. It's everything. It's life. It's seeing the helicopter. It's knowing that we have salvation. It is life. He is life. There is no life apart from Jesus. There is no sanctification from sin. There is no forgiveness except by his perfect life, his cross, and his resurrection. If he lives, there's hope for all of us to live. There's no guarantee that you can ever make the ledger right. In fact, that guarantee is you will never. But his guarantee, he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the risen God. His resurrection is the guarantee of our salvation. If you know Jesus, if you abandon your sin, instead cling to him and say, Lord, I am helpless without you. Lord, I'm ineffectual without you. But Lord, with you, with you, I can do anything. With you, I stand. With you and in you, Lord, I put all my trust in you. I have no bullets left but with you, God. Lord, I need you. Like Mary Magdalene holding on to Jesus in that garden. That is life for us. Do you know Jesus? Have you heard his voice call your name? If today you're thinking, Lord, I want my ledger to be right, there's only one way to do it. The one way to do it is to say, Lord, my ledger is wrong. It's ineffectual. I'm helpless. I need you. Cling to him. Put your trust in him. Say, Lord, I'll live for you. Lord, save me. Lord, you're everything. And then you'll find peace. The gospel is this. The Lord sent his son to die for us because we were helpless, astray. He took all the punishment of your sin and mine. He fulfilled the whole wrath of God. He died on our behalf, taking our place on the cross that was due us enemies of God. And now the Bible tells us that if we believe in him, if we confess with our mouths and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, that he is our guarantee of life. If you believe in Jesus, and that's all it takes is believing in him, submit your life to him and say, Lord, I trust you more than I trust my ledger. I trust you more than I trust my bullets. I trust you more than I trust anything. Then you will be saved. How do you do that? Submit your knee to Jesus. Cling to him and pray and say, Lord, forgive me. I want to be close to you. You know, the Bible tells you that as far as the east is from the west, he will remove our sin from us. And he does that because of his death and his resurrection. The fact that he lives is what gives us life. If you don't know Jesus, if today is maybe the first time you've ever heard this, then after the meeting here, come up and find me and I want to pray with you. Give your life to God. Stop trying to do it yourself. It just reeks of rotten food in the fridge, doesn't it? Seems like every time, you know, it's like 
It's like trying to lose weight. You, you, you make a little progress and it goes great, and then you, man, Oreos, they're so good. <laughs> and all of our life is like you just can't ever make the ledger right because you can't ever make the ledger right. But he can. His ledger's perfect. And in him, putting your trust in him changes everything. May you, maybe you've been running from God. Maybe you feel like you are stranded in a battle and you're alone. Maybe it's unexpected that today he would show up. Maybe you expected something different. Not a Cubs fan. You expected something different in your mind. Stop. Set your, uh, your expectations aside and instead say, Jesus, I trust you. It's, he's the only way, the truth, and the life. Maybe you're going through horrible things right now and it's a really difficult time. I want to tell you the Lord is with you. His call his embrace, his life. If he raised from the dead, then there's no marriage that can't be resurrected. If he raised from the dead, then there's no addiction that can hold you. If he raised from the dead, there's no loss so great that he doesn't fill our hearts and help us move forward. If he raised from the dead, you can know as a guarantee that he is our savior and he will save you if you believe in him. We're going to worship the Lord. If I can ask the worship team to come back up. We're going to sing a final song together. As we sing that song, expect that the Lord who is effectual in all that he does, the Lord who is the great helper, is going to speak to you, pull you up, hear him call your name, and cling to him.